music is a conversation and not saying anything you can watch and learn for a long time but eventually like your voice is needed and no one knows how much it's needed until you do it Welcome back. This is Let It Out. I'm Katie, your host. We took a couple weeks off. We re-aired some episodes from the archive and not even that deep into the archive. Some favorites from the last year. So I hope you listened to those and, and went back in time with me. Or, you know, you still can. If you want to. No pressure. This week is a new episode I just recorded with two members of the Austin-based band, The Deer, Grace Park and Jesse Dalton. I loved talking to them so much. We recorded this in the evening the other night and it was just a really gentle, sweet conversation. And I'm so happy that I got to meet them and got to know their music. So after each episode, I have the guest recommend a future guest. I say like, who's the next person I should talk to? And when I asked Buck Meek, who was on the podcast a couple months ago, Buck is a member of Big Thief, he recommended his fellow Texan musicians, The Deer. And I'm so glad he did because I've loved listening to their music and learning more about them while I prepared for this episode. And above all, I really love talking to Grace and Jesse. They were really cool. And you're about to hear that now. They describe their songs as spacious with airy vocals and gentle percussion. Well, just let's take a listen. This is a song that I've been listening to on repeat since I discovered them through Buck, and I think you're going to like it. Go to my favorite places. Everyone knows my name here. I feel alone a lot. Reach for the bottle. Winter tempts Here's my conversation with Jesse and Grace from The Deer. We talk about being back on the road after quarantine, their new album, creativity and their process, trial and error, acceptance, friendship, grief, and we really get into everything. So stick around at the end if you want to know more about me and my work. And I'm so grateful that you're here and that I got to talk to Jesse and Grace. I'm really happy to connect with you. Your friend Buck Meek recommended you. Cool. Yes. Wow. Yeah, he was just in town a couple of days ago. I saw him play with his uh, new band and the Kitty Band, also from LA. They were yeah, amazing. I loved them so much. I, I saw them too, and they're here. And I have been listening to Kitty so much since it, it was really, really, really special. Yeah, they're insane. Grace couldn't come out that night, but I went out and saw Buck play. And yeah, just, and there was another, um, Adam, uh, Adam Bisbee, 
the he went to school with Grace and I at Texas State University a long time ago, and he's playing lead for Buck. And it went up to me. He's like, "What the hell?" Yeah, <laughs> I literally haven't seen you since like 2005 or six. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was quite a That's quite awesome. a trip. We're a little bit older. I remember going to play my first open mic nights at the Tantra Coffee House in San Marcos when I was still in college and kind of not quite writing songs or like just starting to write songs in about like 2006. And he came and played and Albany Folletta came and played and they were going to the Catherine Ann Porter School in Wimberley at the time. And they they were playing guitar with Django Porter was their teacher. He's this amazing jazz guitar player here in Central Texas. And he taught at their school, which was which just kind of blew my mind. Like we're talking high school. Like yes, way, high way school. They're, they were like 17. I think he was, was 17 a, or 18. Well, like when Grace and I were hanging That's out funny. at the music school at Texas State University with our guitar player as well, who went to school there, Michael McLeod. We used to throw like little parties at my house on Friday and Saturday and this incredible jazz guitar player from Wimberley who taught him at the high school would come out and he started bringing this 15, 16 year old kid named Buck with him. It's not like a normal high school. It is a charter school. Catherine Ann Porter. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, didn't Sarah Juros go there and Kelsey from Wild Child? Just there's amazing talent and intellectuals that have come out of, of that school. So anyways, here's this like 16 year old kid shredding. Um, on a random Tuesday night at a house party <laughs> after everybody's left Django Buck and I are just jamming until like 6 a.m. And then I didn't know how old Buck was at the time. And Django's like, well, I got to go uh, go to school because I knew he taught. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, what do you what do you teach, Buck? And he's like, nope, <laughs> I'm actually a sophomore. It's <laughs> like, oh, oh my God. God. And your teacher's driving you to school after jamming all night long. <laughs> what a trip. But yeah, so, so we, we've known him for a long time in AJN. We went to, when I went to Kerrville, like my second year to Kerrville Folk Festival, Buck and his little brother had a piano on a little trailer, like a full upright old piano on the back of a trailer down in the meadow at the campsite. And they were just. I think their their dad brought it. it. Yeah. <laughs> and Dylan was insane when he was like 14 or 15 too. They're just like so talented. Yeah, they've always been, they've always just been burning bright for a long time now. <laughs> That's how the Austin music scene is, though. It's very, very kind of, you know who the players are. Yeah. It makes you feel really alive and connected to each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And there's, you know, there's enough music for everybody and there's enough places to play. You know, it's, it's a, it's not like a competition in Austin. It's just, or probably LA as well. It's just, it's there and people go to enjoy it all the time. That's so nice. So you both were in school. Did Is that how you two met? When did you start playing music? Did you know you wanted to be musicians? Tell me a little bit more about you two and, and how you came together. <laughs> well, I guess I was a little bit shy. I was a little bit behind everybody. I first started in school wanting to be like a radio personality, have like a radio show and like gather musicians but i always knew that i wanted to sing and that i could sing and that i really liked it and my favorite bands at the time were jesse and michael's bands and i watched them and listened to them and slowly like started making music with them and finally like 
the stars aligned, we got to do this project together after um, doing several projects all on our own. And it just kind of happened organically, I guess. Basically, I cheated off of Grace's music homework. And, <laughs> and, uh, but I was always good at the, um, at the oral training. But I sat next to Grace during the theory, and I would kind of try to get her to give me the answers to the test. <laughs> so yeah, we've known we each other since like 2003 or four. We've always covered each other's blind spots in a huge way. We had to go through, you know, music training gauntlet, which is like ear training and music theory. And everyone had to learn piano, which I could already play. But several of my friends were just so daunted by it. And we just kind of helped each other through everything. And I know Michael had a really tough time doing the singing exams, but they made us all sing. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> it's torturous his personal nightmare <laughs> but like you know we all helped each other through a lot of stuff wow yeah it sounds like a real bonding experience yeah through trauma <laughs> through, through collective suffering so did the band form like all the way back then and and continues now no michael and jesse played in several bands jesse played in band bluegrass called green mountain grass but before that they were a little more rock and roll kind of this band called acoustic couch conspiracy which was pretty <laughs> trippy stuff i know he's shaking his head right now and blushing but they were my favorite bands ever and yeah i was in a band called the blue hit with the shared member of theirs and yeah you might be familiar with the brother brothers have you ever heard of their music Mm, maybe maybe if i heard it they're a great twin the twin moss brothers they, adam and david moss cello and fiddle and that's who we'll recommend you to to interview next time yeah they're great they're they're great friends of ours i just saw them but just he, went to new york city and yeah, dinner with all the mosses oh but nonetheless they were we i had a twin in my band and she had a twin in her band and then when we kind of dissolved we both became the twins. <laughs> <laughs> they made us twins. They made us twins. <laughs> no, it was like, it was supposed to be my solo project and I didn't really plan on making any big deal out of it. But So we're talking 2012. Yeah. I think you started making it. Maybe. 2011, 2012. And kind of like had a whole bunch of different people on it and found my people through it. And we all just like, we we had a friend who was in the band who sang with us who kind of went through like the first round of everybody and she had passed away in 2013 and it was a total accident she was young she, mm-hmm. she had a head injury and we um we all just wrote a bunch of songs about her and kind of like galvanized through it and grew closer together and made it less of like a solo folky thing and more of like a big community thing oh my gosh that had to be so so challenging and then really beautiful was making music and creativity helpful through the grief process and and moving through that i think it was absolutely a necessity for us to even get past where we were which was like back to ground zero so in the most beautiful light it was a catalyst for a huge huge purge of emotional conflict I then like set into 
poetry and reflectiveness and hidden symbology and so forth and so on, which, which got us through a group healing effort and say, it brought us together. It really, it really put into into stark relief what was really important. And after she passed, I kind of felt this gulf, you know, like we all, we all felt this missing spot in this family that we had and it made us all just hug each other closer after that. That's really beautiful. I read that your second album was dedicated to to her, your bandmate. What does it feel like or what did it feel like then to to perform those songs and, and when you perform them now? Kind of weird. It's hard to to go back to a space of sadness when you're when it's years beyond and you're with a group of friends and family and really we've kept the songs that had had the most positive takeaways the song look alive that we still play a lot the ending line you know is um thank your lucky stars for bringing you your dear departed did you see to it she came to me Thank you, lucky stars, for bringing you your dear departed. Did you see to it? She came through me. And I think that that's maybe one of the most positive takeaways that you can have years later after a huge loss is that it, it's a circle and that energy keeps going even though people die their their memory is still there they're still very much with us yeah that's so beautiful grief is so complicated and non-linear and i think talking about it and and making art of it is so beautiful and everyone's process is so different so Last year, speaking of grief, hard pivot, but you know the the general grief of last year with with music and not being able to to tour. I'm I'm curious, you know, you're touring again right now. How does that feel? And and what was quarantine like for you? Um, how was your quarantine? <laughs> uh, it was rough, you know. It's been it's like not really a it's not really yeah. a one shot question. <laughs> Yeah, there's the going the all the extroverts are going inward and all the in, <laughs> introverts are going out. The pre-freeze yeah. darkness and then the mid-freeze darkness and the post-freeze. Um, one thing we did accomplish was we kept small pods and we kept a band pod the entire time and we didn't we were stringent about wearing masks and going out and getting the vaccinated whenever it was first available but through the chilling together we uh, recorded almost two albums worth of songs one album is finalized grace is putting the final touches on the artwork it's going to be called aptly titled for the scenario the beautiful undead and uh, we can't tell you the record label who it's going to be releasing it because it's going to be it's going to be a, a week or so before we announce but we're super stuck super stoked and psyched we're psyched about <laughs> about our possibilities and putting it out and going out on the road. And um, I think that the protocols for being safe are good to have at shows. And 
yeah, I'm excited to go see friends I haven't seen in two and a half years. We haven't been up to, or- we usually go to Oregon every summer for the Oregon Country Fair, at least. Yeah. Or Spring Summit or one of those festivals. Those haven't happened for a while, but they're starting to again. You had just put out an album at the end of 2019. Did you get to tour that at all? Barely. Barely. We went up to... Did like a two-week. Yeah, we did a two-week up to the Pacific Northwest and then over to Colorado. And then we totally got covid did. Yeah, it was just like a soft splash. No, you know, <laughs> just the world got halted. And so yeah. we were bummed not to tour with it. But yeah, we're still excited about it. It's called Do No Harm. We had bigger fish to fry at that point, you know, right. like when when South by Southwest got canceled in March, we had a feeling that it might be kind of a serious thing. And then uh, my wedding in April got canceled as well. And it just kind of we tried to do a tried to make plans for a July summer thing just in case, but it never we never were able to do it. And so we all kind of had to do our other things. We've always kind of done other things on the side, but we had to really dig in. Our drummer and our guitar player got really good at carpentry. Oh, that's cool. Started working with a really brilliant builder and I started digging into my art. Jesse is an archaeologist. And Noah's been playing playing fiddle nonstop. <laughs> Noah was learning web coding as well. Oh, whoa. Trying to find like your niche, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm curious about that. Like your creative process, how do you vacillate between projects? You know, all of you do different things in addition to music. So how do you structure your days and your weeks around different projects and getting ideas? Well, you know, music as a job is kind of seasonal. You you work when there's work and when there's not, you find something else that you can help with, you know, find find where your gifts lie. And this was a year where there was a lot more gaps in between and there was really like nothing for a long time. We all kind of had to really evaluate the sustainability of our of our gifts and like learn new skills for a little while because we were just kind of left. I mean, unfortunately by our, our state government left without a lot of benefits to cover what, what was there. Everything was kind of beyond our control. There were people, there were people who were upset that people were doing that their bands were getting together because that was too dangerous. And then there were people who were, upset that their bands weren't getting together because they weren't afraid. And it's like to make everybody happy and kind of like straddle the line was a challenge. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear about your wedding. Did you end up getting married later? We're going to in April, 2022. I'm happy that you are touring again. What did the first show that you played feel like? What's the first show we played? I think we played Empire Control Room in yep. December. Yeah. And um, it was very spacious. And you weren't allowed to stand or like loiter around any table. So they had it on the lockdown. And it was great to perform, but it was just a little sterile. 
Yeah. <laughs> the clapping, the, Which is the well applause was really sparse. Yeah. yeah. I do remember I looking over. I remember, though, looking over at one point and this girl was standing by her table, dancing her ass off, eating a piece of pizza. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? We're going to be okay. <laughs> I love that. The first show that I saw after, or the second, I guess, after the pandemic as a participant, as an audience mm-hmm. member, like your friend with the pizza, was in this church. It was Waxacachi, and and there was this person a couple rows in front of us that was just right in our eyesight. Like we couldn't, we could see him way more than the stage and uh-huh. everyone was sitting down like it was a really somber energy like no one really stood or, or danced and she played this album that came out similar to you but i think even a little bit behind like february or, or march because i remember listening to it a lot when it came out and so for me it, it really reminded me like music does of that time and she didn't really play too many older songs she pretty much just played the, the album all the way through. And I was wondering if everyone in the church was having a similar experience to me of like, you know, maybe they discovered them later, or maybe it has a different context, but you know, the songs are too new to have that much of a different context for all of us, I guess. And right. it just felt the energy felt so strange, but there was this person right next to us and he was dancing so wildly (laughs) but in a pew like he wasn't up from the pew but the way that he was able to like maneuver his body with his butt still sitting on the wood was so impressive to me and something i'll never forget like those are the things at live music um, you guys are person. built for that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta get down. It was really <laughs> special. Yeah, it was really, awesome. really cool. So I'm curious, you know, in music and in a lot of projects, collaboration is essential and, and can make something, you know, that's greater than what you can do on your own. What is your process with collaboration and and making music and what makes for a good collaboration? Set and setting, timing, timing matters a lot. Like sometimes we make the decision, like we're going to work on this song and we go to work on this song and it's like not coming, but something else is coming. So we're like, okay, whatever's happening, we're going to like encourage this recording or we're going to record it for sure. And we're just going to encourage whatever's happening and try not to force stuff. It's a lot of like trial and error. Let's try this part. This sounded pretty good. Now let's do another version of it where we add this part. It's kind of like a, like a building process. Like you make, you make one song one day and then you sleep on it and you realize the next day that it's going to sound completely different. Yeah, I I was like a Lego kid, so I'm all about like creating a little universe and trial trial and error. Grace and I write a lot of the the material for the deer, and uh, she's the only person I've really have successfully co-written with. We have dozens and dozens of co-writes, and it is sometimes it's like the uh, what's the escape escape to which mountain? Like the little kids that have like psychic abilities and can finish one another's thoughts and so forth 
it's kind of similar to our writing style sometimes. Sometimes I'll write like a five words like evanescent and like <laughs> after image in like bar room and I'll give it to Grace and she'll write a story like Mad Libs <laughs> of like the most beautiful, beautiful, mellifluous like language <laughs> and make it make sense. It's amazing. I think it's a lot about trust of, of just like when something's ready to hand off to somebody, like you don't just hand it off to whoever you're like, Hey, look at this real quick. Like, what can we make from it? And, and the ability to, to be vulnerable with each other of like, try something and be like, um, no, that actually is real, <laughs> real stupid. And the ability to be like, yep. All right. Back to square one. What do we really want to say? What are we saying? You know, like look up words, try stuff that's dumb and then try stuff that's a little cooler. And then, and then, you know, years go by and you look back and you're like, Oh, it's all just like, our silly quilt. <laughs> A silly quilt. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. <laughs> the next album title. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It sounds really magical. You know, I, I think that's, it's so cool that you have each other and have that, you know, long time connection that makes for shorthand. And that's really special. Yeah. And throw the other three guys in and, the most fun I'll ever have is like on a deer recording weekend retreat. Yeah. It's just so much fun to hang out and just put your cell phones away and just to like dive way deep into this group project that knows no bounds. Yeah. We always make really firm plans for it, but it always ends up surprising us in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think that's kind of the, the best case scenario with anything in life when you have a plan and throw it away for something better and are, are able to do that. There's a level of, you know, holding non-attachment that I think is really healthy and, and art and, and just existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True words. I read this old article from 2016 grace, where you were talking about how you were pretty nocturnal and you said, staying awake and waking up hours later than the rest of your household is pretty alienating. Is that still something that you do? My life has changed drastically since then. I've since moved and I'm, I'm in a different marriage and household now. And actually he has a kid, a little girl who's seven and I'm no longer nocturnal it's changed now. I wake up with the family and I go to bed with everybody and kind of get super tired really late at night. Like at like nine o'clock, I start yawning and it's, it's not as lame as I always thought it was going to be. I figured it would happen to me sooner or later. Maybe it's just getting older and maybe it's just finding your home. Mm. But I, I, that's all going to change come around New Year's Eve. Whenever well, we go out know, on the New road, Year's Eve aside, well, when you're on the <laughs> when you're on the road, it's a whole different story. It really is. Then you are. Then you must be nocturnal. Yeah, you kind of have to be, or else you're gonna have a bad time. But that's on the road. That's different. Day to day, I go to bed at like seven p.m. Sometimes it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I can be nocturnal when I need to be for sure. Are you a morning lark? Well. That's a great question. I I want to be like, I desperately wish to be one of those people who woke up naturally 
because mm-hmm. I really like the mornings. I think similar to what you were saying about, you know, being up later than everyone, I think being up earlier than everyone, I can just get so much more done when mm-hmm. no one's texting me something that it's always going to be more interesting to hang out with a friend when they text me than, you know, do even if it's something I'm excited about doing, it's I'm very easily swayed. So I like the mornings because they're quieter. But I, the truth is, I could sleep until like noon if unprompted with a <laughs> <laughs> like I, I sleep like a teenager. Like I just no matter how early I go to bed, like I don't know if something's wrong with me, but I I just could sleep. Like I could be asleep right now, honestly. Like I could just sleep very easily. <laughs> um, not because you guys aren't interesting. I'm like fascinated, but I just I don't know what it is. Which I know people, you know, who struggle with sleeping. It's I do feel grateful, but I would like to be a morning person, but I I'm just kind of not. But I do. I'm not very productive in the evening. I'm definitely more productive in the morning. Mm-hmm. I think as you get older, you round out your life to where you are more comfortable and you have a a more predictable schedule of like, when can I sleep? Or like, when am I, where am I going to sleep? I think for a long time in my life, I wasn't there. I wasn't sure when I was going to need to leave again. And I wasn't sure how long I was going to be where I was. And the place that was my home was, I could take it or leave it. And I think that like, when you feel that way, where you feel alienated, that maybe you seek different times of um, existence, like different ways of getting around your reality. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. (laughs) Upon retrospect, I'm, I'm realizing a lot about, about that. And also like resources, the place I was at, um, I didn't, I, lived on a farm and my studio, my art studio was in a barn and I didn't have AC. So a lot of times I was working at night because it was hot all day. Yeah. That, that, that's similarly, I would like never spend much time in my apartment during the summer. And I realized recently, I'm like, Oh, I'm spending so much more time here. And I was like, Oh, it's just because it was like so hot. I couldn't, I couldn't stay here. You know, I had to like be out and moving and yeah, yes. you're, how am I going to sleep right now? I yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it situate sometimes having constraints. You know, like I think about that a lot with the pandemic. Like creative constraints can also be good. You know, like if you think of like haiku or you know, like having oh, some of these. Oh yeah, it what forces use. Yeah, suffering makes some of the greatest art for mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> Do you have any habits and routines that ground either of you, things that you do do every day or, you know, that inform your work at all? Go through phases, depending on the set and setting of, of my own musery. <laughs> I'll try a song of the week or a song of the day um, and force yourself to get into a routine of making a, I don't know, a house music beat or a chorus of a song or just like whatever kind of melody it could be like a little Bach exercise 12 days later you have 12 different little things and maybe two of them will become like an interesting part of a song or something tangible but at least you're getting your your um creative brain and the the process of it out there and going because it definitely takes conditioning i'm a big fan of the voice memo Mm -hmm. when i'm driving if i've got the radio off or i'm like 
doing chores around the house and I get a melody going on, I will try to stop. Like a lot of times you can hear me like peeing in the background <laughs> or something or like loading laundry or something or, or like water running. Like I'm doing the dishes because I'm like stopped and I'm like, okay, I'm going to work on this melody later. And like, I've got these like pieces of parts of stuff. Or it'll evaporate. It'll, it will or evaporate. Or else it will go away. Yes. Within seconds. Yeah. With snare it. And sometimes you realize, oh my gosh, these are all parts of like the same song. Yeah. Yeah. She came over the other day and I was like, what do you have? And she's like, I got four songs. <laughs> and then no. played like four different parts of the same song. I'm like, I think this is the same. All- this is like one cohesive unit that we're working with. Yeah. What did people do before songwriters do before that tool? You know, think of all the melodies that were lost without voice notes, you know, wrote in yeah. they wrote in notation or shapes. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Like Jerry Garcia had is like, he had a briefcase full of probably illegal substances, but he also had a bunch of handwritten like songs and lyrics and stuff. <laughs> that him and Robert Hunter and whoever else contributed to. But yeah, you just like, that's the thing. Now I have like notes. We have Google Docs whenever we're jamming or trying to pull up old lyrics to a song we haven't sung in a couple of years. It's all there. Oh yeah. I've got them all in the Google Docs. Wow. But we will not be one of those bands that has the iPad on the mic stand on the stage. No, if you have (laughs) to look at the the iPad still, you're not ready to perform it live. Or they're not good enough words if you can't remember. Unless the iPad is a part of your instrument. I, I would I, I understand that. All right. Well, maybe an iPad. <laughs> it must be so interesting, you know, to have someone who's not in the band come in and, and look at all that stuff or piece it together. I, I haven't watched it yet, but have you have you watched the Beatles documentary? That is so <laughs> triggering for me. I don't think I can handle it. <laughs> I had the I try to avoid looking at the man behind the curtain on that i really uh, love the beatles so much and i, I love the beatles too wanna... but uh i so like the truth <laughs> there was an underground bootleg of the original movie that was that was made and uh, i had it on dvd in like college oh wow. I remember the one that just it. came out yeah it's like oh it's wow like the unmastered version or something but it, i haven't seen the new one but it is that's what it's taken from so like someone in the 70s like try to put it together and they released it as this like unedited, like, yeah, it was, it's crazy. But, uh, oh. but I, I love the Beatles. Yeah. I'll probably, I, I just need a Disney so plus much. password. Yeah. I love same. So much. I'll give you ours. Okay, I'll cool. I'll watch it and I'll, I'll email you and tell you my thoughts. Yeah. I haven't watched it either, but I'm curious because I, I just listened to Paul McCartney on fresh air with Terry Gross talking about it. And that conversation, I highly recommend I, It was really cool mm. to, to hear him and, that conversation was really beautiful and it actually sounded really optimistic. Like it, it was, it almost, I haven't not having seen it. I, I don't know exactly, but it sounded like it was sort of a missing piece of, or the way he described it, I guess was, you know, this actually ended positively and this shows that. And I, I don't know, I'm talking about it right. without watching it, but um, yeah. Yeah, it was in, the reason I brought it up was it, just, it, ha, it has to feel so, you know, the way he was describing that was it's such a family. And, and he was like, you know, we would have these really intense arguments like a, a family would. And we would have these really intense moments of clarity like you would with anyone that you're close with. And that 
having someone walk in or lots of people walk in to see that who aren't part of it, there's a shorthand that I'm sure you two have with each other and the other parts of the band. And it's interesting to have that explored by other people and so many other people has to really change things. Yeah. Yeah. They're in a very vulnerable, very public space. And maintain your common line of decency is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> is the way to go. Don't be a jerk. Yeah. 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 I was reading this thing that uh, it was Abby Hoffman's testimony during the Chicago 8 trial of the Democratic National Convention in 1968 when they all got arrested for conspiracy to riot. And he's telling this like, <laughs> This like milk toast, very white, rural judge. He's like, you don't understand my kind. You're linear. You come from dad, grandfather, great grandfather. We don't come from that. We come from this like horizontal family and the Beatles are at the epicenter and around them is their girlfriends. And then all the hippies go this way. He kept saying our horizontal family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what a trip. That was the day he wrote fuck on his forehead. But anyway, I interrupt you. We digress. No, no, that's that's what this is. So, I watched this performance. Speaking of um, watching old things from the archive, of you in 2020. So, just from last year, playing a show on on live stream, and you were playing some old songs, and you were talking about how singing old lyrics was feeling. And I'm curious, you know. How do you feel performing older songs or just, you know, looking at your old work? It's something that I've been, I've been thinking about a lot of, you know, I put out the last couple of weeks, we took a little break and I, I put out some episodes from the archive and I've been doing this since, since 2013. And when I started, obviously, you know, in a very different place now and, listening back to some of those conversations, I was just cringing and embarrassed and like wanted to scrub the internet for any presence of myself, but also, yeah, but, but also feeling like if I, if I sounded exactly the same as I did when I was 22, that would be a bummer too. So how do you handle that? You know, like looking at old work or old things that you've made from a creativity perspective, how do you, how do you feel about that? And then how does it feel to, to perform old, older songs? I try to be as forgiving on myself as I would the people that inspired me, you know, like the Beatles, for example, or like any musician. You remember the song. You don't really remember the recordings. And then when you go back and listen to the old recordings, you're like, ah, those aren't amazing. But the song is there and like the, the spirit is there. And like, this is my favorite artist. It doesn't matter. They were a product of their time. They were working with the tools that they had. And a lot of our favorite artists are from the 80s. So we got to be really forgiving, you know? Um, (laughs) It was a rough time to be making music. All the drums sounded like crap. All the synthesizers. When it got to the 90s, it halted. They were trying to be... I think their intention (laughs) was to be timeless. And I think that all of our intention is to write music that we're going to like later. And maybe not everybody writes that way, but I certainly do. I I always try to write something that I'm not going to hate singing in 20 years, because if it's good, then hopefully I will still be singing it. 
So I'm going to make it kind of good. And, you know, my version of good changes over the decades. And I look back on it. I, I was, I'm getting prepared for a solo show tomorrow and looking back on like all the songs that I've written and some of them are, you know, some of them are a little rough, but I had the best of intentions and I can't be too hard on myself at that point. Like what's done is done. (laughs) (laughs) People like what they like. Yeah. It's not not me. It's just an extension of me. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it shows growth too, you know, like I think having something that was so who you were then is really special. And that person who you were then would be so bummed if they knew that future you was, was judging them. Yeah. And like when you're in the moment recording your first album, you're not worried about like, Oh, the snare is not my pride or like something's going to go wrong in the way we saved the file. Or like maybe the person who's mixing it, it was too rushed or whatever. And like, you never think about those sorts of things when you're in it, you're just like, get it done. And then it's done. And you're like, Oh yeah, there was a lot of things that we meant to do that we couldn't do or like that we'll do right next time. It is what it is. Yeah. I think a level of gentleness, you know, similar to non-attachment is so useful. It sounds like in music and in existing. (laughs) Yeah. And Depeche Mode, you know, they didn't always sound incredibly amazing. But they were one of the greatest bands ever because at certain points they were the best. They sounded the best, but they could. Who are some of your other 80s and and just influences in general? (laughs) (laughs) 80s, definitely The Cure for sure. New Order and Kate Bush, huge fan. Beyond the 80s were... We're pretty big followers of uh, Sufjan Stevens, Tame yeah. Impala, huge Rihanna fan right here. <laughs> yeah, I like the psychedelic rock scene in Austin. It's pretty unique. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've been spying on a bunch of bands like the Black Angels and Holy Wave. And it kind of influenced a little bit of the the ambiance that we have with some songs, but by no means are we like a rock band or a psych rock band. But um, yeah, Bluegrass, John Hartford, some of the folkier stuff. I played Bluegrass for a while, so I'm easily influenced by a nice like Scottish fiddle melody or something. I'm definitely heavily influenced by a lot of folk artists. Um, Joni Mitchell, for one. The Vashti Bunyan. Vashti Bunyan and a lot of Broadway musicals. Oh, yeah. Hugely, hugely influenced by Broadway as a kid. And all the Disney movies. <laughs> like all the Disney songs. We have a pretty wide palette. I think it's why we sound like we sound. I love that. Yeah, that so many, like, all the best in there. Eclectic with so much good stuff. Yeah, there's so much to listen Nobody to. Nobody mentioned The Grateful Dead, but... They're the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room. (laughs) Okay, for this ad break, we want you to take a break. Roll your shoulders back. (laughs) Mine are usually up by my ears. Unclench your jaw. I have a terrible habit of clenching my jaw. 
take a deep breath, which we like to do on this podcast. Sometimes we need reminders to do these things and calm can help. We're partnering with Calm, the number one mental wellness app to give you the tools to improve the way you feel. You can clear your head with daily guided meditations, improve your focus with Calm's curated music tracks, and drift off into sleep with Calm's imaginative sleep stories. Those are my favorite. And if you go to calm.com slash let it out, you'll get a limited time 40% off Calm's premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming and new content added every single week. Over 100 million people are using the Calm app around the world. So for our listeners to this show, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion, 40% off of a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash let it out. Go to calm.com slash let it out for 40% off of unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash let it out. I really love this app. I meditate every single day and I really like using guided meditations and I've really enjoyed their sleep stories. They're so cool. They're these really interesting, cool people reading bedtime stories to you and I love to turn them on when I'm falling asleep. So check it out today. Let me know what you think. I can't believe I'm saying this, but as 2021 is coming to an end, I've started thinking about next year and self-care routines and figuring out where I want to focus in the new year, what's working, what's not, coming up with some more mindfulness practices. We all want to be nice to ourselves and take care of ourselves in the new year. And an important part of self-care is taking care of our skin. That's why we're so excited to continue partnering with Apostrophe. Whether you're dealing with breakouts, noticing signs of aging, or wanting to even out your skin tone, or maybe you're like me and all of those things are happening on your face, Apostrophe can help. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to help clear acne. Apostrophe connects you with a board-certified dermatologist who will create a personalized treatment plan that's perfectly tailored to your unique skin. Simply fill out Apostrophe's online quiz about questions about your medical history and your skin goals, and then you snap a few selfies from the front and side so they can fully see your face, and a dermatologist will create a customized treatment plan for you. Apostrophe treats all types of acne from hormonal acne to facial acne and acne and other places on your body. I really, really like working with Apostrophe because I use their products. I've been using their sunscreen that has zinc in it. I'm in the sun so much more and the climate where I live now is so much more dry than where I lived before. So I'm wearing more sunscreen and I love this one so much. I just applied it to my skin and it really seems to be helping me. They also make this Retin-A cream that's prescription strength that helps my skin. It's combined with a couple other things and it was 
prescribed to me from my board certified dermatologist. And I think it really helps. I think it's helping me to knock on wood, not have as many breakouts. And I noticed a difference when I stopped using it. So I really, really love working with them. We have a special deal for you, our audience. Save $15 off of your first visit with an apostrophe provider at apostrophe.com slash let it out when you use our code, let it out. This code is only available to you, our listeners. So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash let it out and click begin visit and then use the code let it out at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. That's all it's going to cost $5. That's apostrophe A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash let it out and use the code let it out to get your dermatologist crafted treatment plan for only $5. We thank apostrophe for sponsoring the podcast. One of my favorite brands is sponsoring the podcast. Away is a modern lifestyle brand that creates thoughtful products for every traveler and every kind of trip. They started with the perfect suitcase. It's a suitcase that I actually bought for a boyfriend of mine a couple years ago, and I really wanted one myself. He loved it, and eventually I got one too. It has a hard top, and I've taken mine all over the world. It has features that make every travel situation more seamless and now when travel looks different than ever before you can count on a ways range of suitcases bags and accessories for whatever trip you're going on i started with their suitcase like i said but now they have so many different products and i'm really excited to try out more and maybe give it as a gift So if you're going on a weekend trip or an extended stay, they have all different sorts of sizes and no matter where your destination is or what your style is, away suitcases, bags, and accessories come in a variety of sizes and colors and materials. There's really something for everybody here. All of Away's suitcases are designed to last a lifetime with really durable exteriors that can withstand a lot of movement and travel. So, hey, look, that suitcase that I I bought for an ex-boyfriend, you know, survived longer than the relationship did. And I am so happy about that. Every suitcase comes with an interior organization system that includes a built-in compression pad to help you pack in even more. It's hidden and removable. And there's a laundry bag that separates your dirty clothes. I really love that feature. And it has 360 spinner wheels that guarantee a really smooth roll, even in the most hectic of airport situations. I've done a lot of running to catch my flight, which I'm not, you know, thrilled about, but my suitcase, you know, can go faster than I can basically. Available in so many different materials and a variety of colors and sizes. A TSA approved combination lock keeps all of your belongings safe. Away products are designed to last a lifetime. Like I said, if any part of your suitcase breaks, Away's standout customer service team will arrange for you to have it fixed or replaced. Plus, there's a 100-day trial on everything Away makes. So you can take the product home and then take it on the road, live with it, travel with it, even get lost with it for 100 days. If you decide it's not for you, you can return it and they'll refund you fully. And they even offer free returns and free shipping. So there's really, you know, low stakes. Give them a go. Start your 100-day trial 
and shop the entire Away lineup of travel essentials, including their best-selling suitcases at awaytravel.com slash let it out. That's awaytravel.com slash let it out. Was there a piece of advice that either of you were given that you would pass down to someone else? I would look back on my younger self and and ask her to be more forgiving, you know, all around with with people and yourself, you know. Music is a conversation and not saying anything. You can watch and learn for a long time, but eventually like your voice is needed. And no one knows how much it's needed until you do it. In a vice machine is a, a dear friend, Bonnie Payne from Elephant Revival. And they had a Q&A at this festival up in Colorado a couple of years ago. I was sitting in the audience and uh, she was handling questions like left and right. And she was getting a little persnickety too. And so they'd be like, um, yes, you over there. Be like, uh, what's your favorite song? And you know, what's your favorite song to play? And she goes, the song I'm playing next question. <laughs> <laughs> But like, yeah, totally like in be in the moment with what you're doing. Don't think about the song before or the mistake you might make in the next one. Like always be in the moment with what you have. Yeah. Read your room, read your people. They'll but that's you know. also like, that's just a, a parallel you can put on so many different applications. Yeah. Just be here. Yeah. I think about this line every day that that's someone someone gave me this like as a mantra when I was traveling and he said here now in this, and I kind of, you know, when my mind starts to wander, I get really overwhelmed. I like come back to that. Like you're here, like feel your feet. You're here yeah. and, you know, nurture what's in front of you. Cause that's really all yeah. you can do. And it's very human to, to ask that question like that person did, you know? Absolutely. Um, but yeah. That's, yeah. I love the the wisdom of it. You know, it's similar to Ram Dass. Uh, be yeah. here now. Yeah. Be in the moment. It's exactly. truth. Yeah. I think, you know, whenever I am thinking about what I want to work on, I love that you said forgiveness, Grace, but I think so much of it comes back to presence. Like it is kind of a cliche of, you know, Ram Dass and be here now or nurture the garden in front of you or the power of now or be present or that thing that the person in Bali gave me here now and this, you know, it's like, it's all, it all kind of comes back to the same thing of like, you're just here, you know, that a lot of the problems are in the past or in the future anxiety or, and it's so much easier said than done. Like they're all cliches because they're true, but it's the remembering them and practicing them and um, coming back to them again and again and again is the challenge. And I think, you know, a lot of these things we're talking about, about music, whether you're a musician or not really do what you, what you've all been saying about music can be applied more broadly too. Absolutely. What helps you each remember to, to come back or like what, sorts of self-care practices or, you know, what helps with your, you know, mental health situation, you know, do you journal, do you meditate, do you call friends, any sorts of self-care that you find useful? Definitely the journaling and definitely like finding, I think my favorite time to sing is in the morning, is in, it's around like 
10 to noon or so is when I feel most like really singing. It kind of happens every day. So I really just like try to encourage that time mm-hmm. whenever it's happening. And sometimes like people want to record super late and you got to put your foot down like, you know what? Like I can do keyboards right now, but I am not going to sing past 10 p.m. or whatever, <laughs> like whatever your cutoff time is in the studio. It's like, and and however long that you've been singing, like really like honoring each other's boundaries, but also listening to each other when they're saying, I can keep going. <laughs> Like, okay, well, it's time to just keep doing this now. (laughs) You know, there is the attempted meditation techniques, but those are pretty difficult. I do like to stare off into space and do breath work. That helps with the getting caught in the moment or the, I guess that's not being caught in the non-moment. That's when you're behind or you're in front. You have to get, you have to snare yourself to be in the exact moment of where you are. We do the huddle before the sh- before the shows. The huddle is actually a great technique to have everybody grounded and we get all arm in arm and just take a moment to say, "Let's make this show really good. Let's let's feel the crowd. Let's be here. Let's like gather it all together and like leave whatever we've got going on, like anxiety wise or mentally, like right here and." pick it back up when we come out if we need to but like right now this is what we're doing i love knowing the about the huddle or the things people do before shows do you have any other rituals or or practices you do before performing or while you're on the road not that we do the uh (laughs) (laughs) okay so there's this like clapping game that you go like you go like together right together left and then like together both together back together so it's like a boom chip boom chip boom chip chip boom chip chip you know uh-huh. so like there's that thing that two of us were doing and then the other one was like me and grace were singing this like thing that's like old mcdougal is dead and his brother don't know what his brother is dead and this dude don't know it they're in the same bed and neither one knows that the other one's dead so we'll be singing that <laughs> And somebody came in our green room, like filming, like live on Instagram. And they're like, all right, we're going to the Deers green room right before the show. Let's see what they're doing. Let's see what kind of drugs they're doing. And we're back there playing patty cake and seeing this like <laughs> drinking kombuchas. <laughs> so earnest and wholesome. It's really, it can be. It can be. It's not always. We've got two dead dudes in bed together. Yep. <laughs> Those are beautiful lyrics, but you have so many lyrics that you've you've written that are are really really special and beautiful. Do either of you have a line? I know I'm I'm putting you on the spot, but that comes to mind that you've written and performed that you really love or think of often. Oh man, I don't know. I'm blanking on that one. Yeah, there's so many. Um, I don't know. Gosh, that's a tough there's one. This, there's this new song that we've got. For the for the new album that has a a cool ending, kind of about the pandemic, about like coming back out. It's mm. like songs arise, come the summer, sing to bind, wake from slumber, around the sun, wake and welcome, mending morning, joyful noise. <laughs> and then uh, 
before you make aware the lion or the bear. <laughs> yeah. With Do No Harm, your latest album, I love that as a title, similar to you know what we we're talking about with being present and you know being here now. What does what does that mean to you? That that phrase, each of you. It's part of the Hippocratic Oath. I've always been particularly fascinated with it because my mom is a speech pathologist and she's always worked with healthcare professionals and doctors and teachers and, you know, this whole like, this whole community of healthcare professionals that take the oath to do no harm and like what that actually means. Sometimes it means like leaving alone. Sometimes it means mercy. Sometimes it means fighting you know, and I think that it's really important mantra, if you will, to focus on when you are thinking of like rules on how to treat perfect strangers who need you. And I think that with great power comes great responsibility, basically. As an artist, as a healthcare professional, as whatever you do in your job, you're you're holding someone's trust in your hands and to do no harm, I think, is like the the best that you can do. It's something that I sort of think about a lot in a similar phrase of that I also is a bit of a cliche, but true of another guiding light to to do no harm is, you know, leave places better than you found them. And, you know, I think that one is is so applicable, you know. To people, places, seeing light on something that is causing great amounts of harm, and sometimes harming something that is causing tons and tons of harm is actually necessary. What have each of you been learning lately, or what's been inspiring to you? We just recently came back from a trip to New York City. I, I went with my family and. We went to Broadway and walked past the Stephen Sondheim Theater a couple of times mm. the day before he passed. And when we walked by there, we were telling our little kid about, you know, what a great mind he was, what a what an amazing composer, and how he wasn't a huge blockbuster or anything on Broadway, but he changed the face. He helped progress musical theater in a huge way and his mark his contribution was was giant and i was reading some accounts on the day that he passed about his work with leonard bernstein and talking about how he worked with meters and how they would change meters all the time and he was saying our our minds usually think in like two or four or three or like groups of these meters but if you have a phrase, a musical phrase of like something that is driving narrative, something that a character is saying, like a sentence, and you don't need those extra two beats, just take them off and move on to the next sentence like you would in a conversation. And I thought it was really fascinating how, how he was able to take that kind of writing from West Side Story and Leonard Bernstein to, to something like Sweeney Todd. This is really fascinating way that he he just like opened his mind he just like broke his mind of of meter almost completely <laughs> that's so cool 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated by, by Sondheim too. My, my really close friend, her dad worked with him and, and his name's James Lapine. And he wrote Sunday in the park with George with him. Yeah. And he, he wrote this book that came out this year and it's called putting it together, how Stephen Sondheim and I created Sunday in the park with George. And he, you know, talks about what it was like to work with this person. And it's, you know, it's really vulnerable. And it's, it was such a fascinating account of collaboration, you know, like we were talking about and, and a mind that works, you know, like all of ours in, in so many different ways. And I think you would really like it. Have you, have you read that book? No. Yeah. I'll send it to you. It, it just came out earlier this year, but there's a really great fresh air episode with Terry Gross and, and James Lapine talking about it. And I think you'd really like it. Cool. Thank you. I just read a really good book that is well-known called Girl Interrupted by Suzanne Kaysen. The movie is a, uh, is pretty good, but, but the book, um, the book is absolutely amazing. It is done in the style of like William Burroughs naked lunch where it's completely chopped up and put in random places, but it, it's all there. And uh, I'd never, I don't know, it was so moving to me, especially through the eyes of like a troubled 18 year old girl in the sixties. I felt never, never felt so understood, <laughs> but it's really, it's like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but legitimate. And through a, a female's perspective, I recommend that book heavily. Cool. It's so interesting how great art, you know, that's like kind of the marker, right? Where the circumstances can be wildly different, but you're able to relate and connect. Absolutely. There's finally a, a movie about Lewis Wayne. When I was on tour a couple of years ago, I made my band. This is another bluegrass band at the time, Whiskey Shivers. We had one day off. We hadn't had a day off in like two weeks. And I was like, hey, one of my favorite cat artists was at the Bedlam Mental Institution in London. Do you guys want to like take the day and go down there? They have a museum um, exhibit in the asylum from the you know late 1800s, early 1900s of all the people that stayed there and the art that they made while they're tenured at this mental institution. But um, there's a movie that just came out a couple of days ago on Prime based on Lewis Wayne and his psychedelic cat drawings. Yeah, I remember this guy. Yeah, dude, it's so <laughs> amazing. I was so excited to see that. But uh, yeah, I recommend watching that. What's your greatest advice on friendship? If you guys insist on making fun of each other, then you have to include lots of other words of affirmation and encouragement or else you're just being jerks to each other. <laughs> oh, that's you so good. Yeah. Sandwich effect. <laughs> compliment in every three like rips. Yeah. And if you're gonna propose a problem to something, it's best if you already have a solution in mind or else no one is really gonna, gonna listen to your problem or they're not going to be able to help you with your problem unless you know how what you need to fix it <laughs> one time after a party and way too hard at the albino skunk festival all night we got to the hotel at like 5 a.m and we had a 7 30 van call and so everybody got like an hour and a half of sleep and we all get in the van and grace looks over and she goes how you doing noah and he had an orange in his hand and he just bit through the peel Oh my God. That was he okay? <laughs> no, 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 I don't think so. No, he was not. 
Anyways, she didn't so take funny. his sunglasses off all day. Even That's in so funny. Oh my gosh. You both seem like really calm people. And, you know, we're recording this in the evening. Like we're maybe you're just having a, a good day, but I'm sure that you get overwhelmed or stressed. What what helps you when you do? I think I was more of a high strung person before I found art and music. I I when I was in my early twenties before this band started before my other band started, before I started writing, before I started drawing and making art on the regular or knew what I wanted to do with all of it. I think I was way more intense. I would have anxiety attacks all the time and have, you know, heart palpitations or like moments of like, I don't know what to do. Uh, Everything's falling apart. But I think, making art is really like whenever I'm not sure what to do with all this pent up energy. Like I sit down and like, what if I just draw a picture right now? Sometimes it's all I can do to draw a picture. Sometimes it's all I can do to just like write down a bunch of words in my head that make no sense, but taking the energy and putting it somewhere and redirecting it is really my go-to these days. Jump on a bike and just cruise the bike, go on a walkie walk the base create something i don't know I try to i try to create something and it blows off a lot of steam yeah what's either of your greatest lesson on creativity capture it yeah. capture it because if you try to remember it later it's going to be like a zombie bread it was never the original melody that stuck out to you that you wanted it to write it down or to record it so bad it's like it's something some different reanimated version of what once was yeah, just record it, get it down and get don't get used to something that you don't like. Change it before you uh before it becomes it. the the animatronic band at Chuck E. Cheese. The rack. <laughs> the rack is, yeah. That's also a, applicable to to life too, you know. Before it gets too bad, change it. Yeah. Yeah, before you get used to it and you just start doing it all over again and you have to do it for every show. Don't do it like that. Don't set yourself up like that. Set yourself up for something good. That's why every time I find myself writing like a really sad bastard song, which I do a lot, I try to put in a little bit of happiness to it or like a little bit of like, like, so you were sad, but what did you learn from the sadness or what, what came through? Yeah. I think that's more sustainably relatable. You know, I think about that even in my writing too, of like, or in any context of, you know, yesterday was horrible, but today is better. Like having a little bit of optimism is more sustainably relatable because it's, you know, nothing's one thing. You can feel multiple things at once. And yeah, I think it's easy to just make a pile of what's most present, but it can maybe even can help pull you out of it a little bit, searching for a crumb of brightness in it. A brightness crumb. Brightness crumb. (laughs) That's what we learned from creating a lot of music for a friend who died is like, okay, we have a bunch of songs about death, but like, what is this really about? It's about how she was an amazing person and how sometimes Mm. someone touches you, someone burns so bright through your life that 
you are changed because they lived, not because they died. Yeah. What is your greatest lesson on grief or what would you tell someone who's grieving right now in that process? Hold on to it. If a memory hurts you right now to think about, don't try to forget it. Just let it, let yourself remember it and remember it for what it was. And in a few years, I promise it will, it is going to be a sweet, sweet thing. Right. It never goes away. Like that will never change, but you can change around how you perceive it and how you approach it. Yeah. You can, you can't change how you feel about it, but you can change how you act as a result of how you feel. Yeah. It's really well said. What about your greatest lesson on change? Sometimes you make changes and they're not compatible with your surroundings. And sometimes you make changes and you are exactly where you need to be. Changing is almost always good. You can't fake who you are. So if you're changing, you have to change. You can't stay the same forever. Mm -hmm. The only language that doesn't change is the dead language. Latin doesn't change. But yeah, it's the it's part of like the cycle, the world ritual world renewal ritual the cycle the snake shedding its skin sometimes you can be surrounded by people who you know i guess like you're when you're in high school with your high school friends and some of them change and you <laughs> don't really hang with them anymore and some people change throughout your life and you just like love them no matter what because they just are who they are and you can trust that they're going to change and you can trust that whatever they're going to change into is the person that you're just going to love no matter who that is. And those are the kind of people that you are family with, you know? Yeah. It's so beautiful. What about family? What is a, a lesson on family or what have you learned? Maybe just like picking your battles if we're all if we're all growing and changing together, like give them room to change and like let people realize, let people try stuff and come to their own conclusions because your mind your mind might change and you might come to agree with them if you guys all try the same thing. But if you're not if you're opposed to trying new ideas that someone else presented, that you might never get out of your comfort zone you have to trust your people around you to to help you change you know and to bring you you might think that you know everything and then you might try it another way and realize that you want to do it completely differently from then on that's just like what it is to trust the people around you yeah grace is rolling with the wisdom right now Okay, one one or two more pieces of wisdom to pull out of you. What about romantic relationships? You're about to get married. What's either of yours greatest lesson on romantic relationships? Don't lie. Stop lying. They know already. Just cut it out. <laughs> Just talk to your person. If you can't talk to your person about something and it's like this burning thing that you can never approach, you need to run far, far away and find something that you can actually be with and start living your damn life. Don't be so scared. My grandma would always say a lie has no legs. It takes additional lives to support it. 
Yeah. So whatever you lie about, you have to manage and go somewhere. It takes a lot of energy. Yeah. Well, and then you're building up this whole scene for someone that that doesn't know you. Let yeah. your person know you if you if you truly desire to make a life with them. You have to be able to handle knowing them and you have to be able to handle sharing yourself with them or else it's just not going to work. You can't hide. Yeah. Yeah. That's intimacy, right? It's like allowing someone to see you and seeing them, but it's, it's vulnerable. And I often feel like I want that more than anything, but also fear it more than anything at the same time, because it's both. Sometimes it's easy with somebody and it just kind of clicks, but you never know until you try it. Yeah. You're a child. <laughs> You're a person that had a neglected childhood too. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. Expose our vulnerabilities to one another and empathize and know where we're coming from. One day you meet that person that you don't have to apologize to for everything. They just see you and they just get it and you just get them. And it's it's mutual. And it's a really sweet spot to be in. You should put that in your vows. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording this. <laughs> what about spirituality? What do each of you think about, you know, what happens when we die and God and any connection with anything? I can't I can't even pretend to know, but I I don't think it's nothing. We're probably in like a similar agnostic on the side of like, um, not anti-organized religion. I'm not anti-anything, but I'd err on the side of um, probably something more akin to like a Native American cosmological model or a Buddhist model. Of course, I was raised Presbyterian. And I think, what were you, a Methodist or something? Um, no, I, my folks weren't religious, but I did go to Baptist church for, oh, Baptist church. That's right. for about four years in high school. That's where I learned to sing and choir and stuff. Right. The Huston Smith, you know him? Uh-uh. He was um, a renowned scholar that went to Harvard and he spent seven years studying each major religion and uh, had a huge synthesis. He's well regarded as one of the top scholars on religion. And out of all of them, he's, he chooses to be like a Baptist, I believe. Wow. <laughs> We went around the whole horn. Huh? It, it, it was a positive experience for me, but I understand fully why it is not a positive experience for a lot of people. And I try to remain sensitive to it. I identify, yeah, I guess agnostic. I believe in Christ's message. I believe in Buddha's message. I believe in a lot of different scriptures. and Black elk. I believe that people... The belief that people ascribe to different doctrines is what I believe holds power. It's when when someone believes it and is devout in it and is is religious in it, as in they practice it, that it gives it power. It, it brings the belief power in that it is real. Yeah. You know, I think there it's is real a, for them. There is a collective consciousness that as above and beyond self and individual modes of thinking that goes, I think it, it lives in tandem or conjunction conjunction with the, the animal flora fauna 
and even like a metaphysical plane within the universe. And I think that snippets of religion have proven that they've like danced with the fire for just a second and got a glimpse of it. So I'm not sure if you acquiesce into that whenever you die or what, but like Grade said earlier, all, all energy transforms into another another form of energy. Yeah. So does. who knows? I do believe that. And I believe that even in even if you ask a a group of Baptists from the same exact church from the same town, that all of them would have very different descriptions of what they believe happens after you die. And a lot of it might sound sort of similar, but really each each person describes their own meaning to their own life and their own death. Yeah, well said. So what would you recommend? Like the last bit of this is recommendation. So sometimes I frame it as you're trapped on a deserted island and you can only bring with you one movie, one book, one historical figure or um, celebrity that you really like, podcast, song, food, just really anything you want to recommend. They can be all-time favorites or just things you'd like people to know about. Well, I mentioned them earlier. The Brother Brothers are well worth checking out. I'm a really big comic book fan, so if I could bring if I could bring some sweet Marvel comics with me, I would be endlessly entertained. Oh, to being on the island? On the island? Oh, one I re- I recant. Oh, I've been I've been super into it. I, I'm really liking that they're coming out with a lot of Marvel movies, and I know that mm. sounds ridiculous, but I've I've been excited for it for a long time. <laughs> um, there's this element of like visual and story that really builds it for me of like how how it spans over universes and universes and can be so huge and so small at the same time. Anything else come to mind that you guys want to recommend or leave people with? I read this book during pandemic called the Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Oh yeah, it's so good. He's an incredible writer. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I would I would recommend most of his books. Um, he also wrote several Black Panther series and Marvel comics. <laughs> He's stoked about all that. <laughs> but just like the you know, the voice of the the voice that he uses and, the, and his insight is has been extremely valuable for me. Yeah, me too. That that book is really illuminating and. It, that's the one where it's a conversation with his son, right? Or like a letter he was writing to his son. Yes. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Poetry, prose, just, just gorgeous writing. And You might've heard of him. Uh, Helu Mergia. He was a uh, um, prominent in the early seventies. He's an Egyptian synth pop player. Mm, and it's no. so cool. Here's a snippet. got some lo-fi vibe to it but i love it that's pretty tight oh i love that h-a-i-l-u mergia oh cool thank you both so much it was so fun to talk to you the name of the show is let it out so is there anything else you want to let out did i you know squeeze you 
for all of your juice? Is there anything that you never get to talk about that you wish you would have that you wish I would have asked? I can't think. I think we touched it all, dude. You're very thorough. (laughs) Really expansive. We got into death and religion and everything. I usually, that's usually where I like to go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, I usually don't do them this late at night, but it's kind of, and it's later where, where you are, but I think with the the time change, it feels to me like it's like 10 p.m. when it, you know, it is all hours. I'm 9.35 right now. Yeah, That's yeah. Cool. It's kind of nice to do this like a little bit loopy and came relaxed. Oh, yeah. But yeah, we hope to run into you in L.A. Or if yeah. you ever make it often, please hit us up. We have extra rooms in both of our oh, houses. that's so nice. Thank you so much. I, I definitely will and would love to meet you in person when you're here next. Are you, I know you're on tour right now, but I, I don't think you're coming to LA or are you? Not this time around, but we hope to by the end of next year. I might be driving through on my own after Christmas, but I won't oh, be there nice. long. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, let's all, let's all stay connected and this was so fun and it was really cool to get to talk to you. Well, thank you. you so much. Thank, thank you. you so much. We end by letting out a deep breath. Will you do that with me before I stop recording? Yes. Okay. Inhale. Let it out. <sighs> thank you both so much. That's my conversation with Jesse and Grace from The Deer. Go see them if they're coming to your city. They're on tour right now. And listen to their music. Check out their latest album. And they have a new album coming up, like they said. So follow them. They're on Instagram. And I'll give you the emoji of the week to the secret emoji to comment on their Instagram and my Instagram. Let It Out has an Instagram. It's at Let It Out with three Ts. It's also me. <laughs> But that's a really great place to learn more about new episodes and our workshops, which speaking of, we have two holiday workshops, journaling, writing workshops coming up. So if you want to know more about that, make sure you're on the Let It Out letter. If you want show notes emailed right to you and updates and sometimes little essays or insights or links from me, the link will be in however you're listening to this. It'll be there for you to sign up and you'll get an occasional weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, somewhat often email from me. I would love to talk to you there or somewhere on the internet. I'm so grateful that you're here, that you're listening. We have many more episodes until the end of the year and into the new year, hopefully. It just means a lot. And I'm always so grateful that I get to do this and I really appreciate you listening to and supporting the sponsors and the guests and I'm just so grateful for all the people I've met through the podcast. Okay so the emoji of the week if you're still listening all the way to the very very end is the orange. We'll pretend it's a clementine and if you know you know you listened to the story and that was like probably the best funniest moment of this episode so comment that on the deer's instagram on my instagram on let it out's instagram let us know you listened all the way to the end and i will see you next week with a new episode i think everyone's gonna be really excited about these next ones that i have coming up i'm not gonna tell you who the guests are like i normally do but i'll just say this they are people that have been requested and they are repeat guests who have been on the show before 
Oh, and one last thing, the Let It Out workshops are still on sale. So the code is COSMIC for a discount. And if you have any questions or I've been getting a lot of questions on if people can give them as a gift and the answer is yes, absolutely. That's such a thoughtful gift and you're a really great friend to want to give one. So just email us and we will, and us being me, Katie at Let It Out with three T's and Ella and I will help you do that. Talk to you soon. Love you. Bye.